Welcome to the Blue Stocking Baptist Podcast. My name is Esther and I'm here with my co-host, Hannah. Today we're going to be talking about the Trinity. So we want to go ahead and give a definition of the Trinity that's going to help us uh, our work, as our working definition as we work through what the Trinity is and where it came from and what it means in Christian circles. So our definition of Trinity is God is one being who existed eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, So Hannah, do you want to maybe define some of the terms inside of that definition? Yeah. So a being is, I guess the best way to explain it is we are one person and we are one being. So God is three persons, but one being. So for us, our understanding of the word person, we carry a lot of baggage with that because we hear the word person and we think being. I think for some of us, it's difficult because we hear um, that the Father is God and the Son is God and the Holy Spirit is God. And we struggle when we hear that they are each members of the Trinity, that they're each persons within the Trinity. Um, But that word means that they are, that they're each individual, but they all make up the one being that is God. Um, Do you kind of want to add anything, Esther, to clarify? Yeah. Yeah. What you're saying is basically that the father is not the same person as the son. The son's not the same person as the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's not the same person as the father. Yes. Three distinct persons, yet all one being, which is God. Yes. So there's only one God, which is the one being in essence, but there are three persons within that one being in essence. Um, So the Trinity doctrine teaches two really important truths that one, there's only one God, which is monotheism. And two, there are three co-equal and co-eternal divine persons revealed in scripture. So each member in the Trinity has a will, can speak, can love. um, And these are demonstrations of personhood. They are an absolute perfect harmony consisting of one substance. Um, They are co-eternal, co-equal, and co-powerful. So to repeat what we just said again, I really love a short description that James White gives in his book, The Forgotten Trinity. I would suggest memorizing it because it's short and simple, and it does help you to stay um, from straying into error. So within the one being that is God, there exists eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to say it again. Within the one being that is God, there exists eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we're talking about the Trinity, it's extremely important that we don't stray um, from this basic understanding or try to make up new terms or analogies in describing the nature of God or who God is or what God is. What we just described, we need to stay within those um, bounds or confines. What was the word that you used? All of those. Yes, guidelines. So now what we're going to do is we're going to um, look at those two truths. The first one being that there is one God and the second one that there are three co-equal, co-eternal divine persons revealed in scripture. Um, So we're going to look to scripture first to show us that there is only one God, which was like Hannah mentioned, that's monotheism, that there's one God. Um, So first we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6.4 which is the Shema, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. This passage is called the Shema, 
in the Jewish tradition, the Shema is commonly said daily. This verse is very important because it expresses that there's only one God. The Israelites believed this and recited the Shema. And since scripture ultimately interprets scripture, we must believe that there is only one God. So Jeremiah 10, 10 also says, but the Lord is the true God. And Isaiah 43, 10 says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me. No God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. And Isaiah 44, 6 and 8 also says, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? There is no rock I know of any. So in both these and all three of these texts we're seeing in the Old Testament, that God reveals himself as one being, one God, and that God is the first and the last. There is no God before him. There's, there are no other gods that have ever been created, nor will there ever be any gods that are created in the future. So one eternal God, and this shows the monotheistic nature of God being one. That last one that you just read where it mentions that there is no rock, I know not any, that reference to rock is that actually comes from uh, in Deuteronomy where where God is referred to as the rock. So in the rock was the, the redeemer and the savior of Israel. So he's saying there's no other. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's, that's important an important reference right there where God refers back to his own words in Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, we've also got um, more verses in Isaiah 45. Really, you should just read this whole chapter. So <laughs> I've got uh, a couple of verses from Isaiah 45 that I'm going to read. Read verse 5 first. It says, I am the Lord. There is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know me. From the rising of the sun from the west, that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Verse 18 says, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is no other. Verse 21, declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God beside me a righteous God and savior. There is none besides me. And last one from, uh, from chapter 45, I'm going to read verses 22 and 23 it says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God. And there is no other by myself. I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow Every tongue shall swear allegiance. And I think we had a, we had a verse to compare that to in the New Testament, um, verses 22 and 23, where it says that to me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess allegiance. We want to compare that to Philippians 2.11, um, which is speaking about Christ. It says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. We thought that was a, a 
cool parallel to see that, uh, which is going to help us later whenever we're discussing the, the divinity of, of Christ, showing that there's only one who, in the end, will have every knee bow to, bow to him, which is God. Yeah. And that Jesus is, is God. Mm-hmm. Uh, John 17, 3 also says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So in context, Jesus is speaking about the Father. He says that the Father is the only true God. So in contrast to Revelation 1, 7, Jesus Christ declares himself as God, and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This verse is really important when understanding the Trinity um, because the Revelation text clearly shows that Jesus is the first and the last. It's clearly expressed that Jesus Christ is God and the Father is God and that there is only one God. I mean, even referencing back to a verse we previously read talking about no rock I know of any, um, just that whole passage in Isaiah 44, 6 and 8, talking about that there is only one God. There's no one before, no one after. And then in comparison to Revelation, we see that Jesus Christ is referred to the first and the last. And we see that there is, it's not a contradiction. There's one God, but there are multiple persons within the Godhead. And that's what we're really trying to show. Um, we also have 1 Corinthians 8, 5 through 6, which says, for although there are may be so-called gods in heaven or earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist in one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So that really is a punch to the, the pagan so-called gods. Um, and uh, last one we have to show that there's one God um, is Galatians 4, chapter 4, 8 through nine verses eight through nine says formally when you did not know God you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods but now you have come to know God or rather to be known by God how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more so that shows that naturally we're inclined to worship things that are not God and that there's only one true God Mm-hmm. Um, that's in order to have a relationship with him, he has to know us and, uh, initiate relationship with us. I agree. Okay. So now we're going to talk about that. There are three divine persons revealed in scripture. So first we're going to read some texts that have to do with the father specifically. So Philippians one, two says grace to you and peace from God our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 64, eight says, but now, O Lord, you are our father. You are the potter. We all the work of your hand. John 10 30 says, I and the father are one. That is Jesus speaking about um, the unity with the father and that they are one. Um, Ephesians four, four through six says there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So now we're going to look at um, some some verses that show how the Son is uh, distinctly divine, how he is a divine person, meaning he is God. 
Um, so throughout the Gospels, Jesus is depicted as being able to do things that only God can do. This is because he is God. He is said to have the authority to give to forgive um, sins. We see that in Mark 2, chapter 2, where Jesus pronounces a paralytic man. Um, he pronounces that his sins are forgiven. He issues commands. Uh, he expounds on the Old Testament, showing uh, the true meaning behind it, and reveals that he had the authority to do so. He had power over life and death, where he, uh, in John 11, he resurrected Lazarus from the dead. He demonstrated he had authority over creation. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus commanded a storm to calm, and it calmed. Jesus showed he had command over the angels in Matthew 13, um, where he, he's described as having the authority to command angels to carry out tasks for the kingdom of God. He received worship as God in John chapter 20, verse 28, when Thomas uh, called Jesus, my Lord and my God. Mm-hmm. We wanted to point out that unlike the angel who John fell down and worshiped in Revelation, who said, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets. Jesus did not rebuke Thomas for worshiping him as God. Jesus is the word mentioned in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, uh, 14, where he is said to be the word and the word is God and was God and has always been with God. Mm-hmm. Um, as the word, Jesus is God. All things were created through him and nothing that was created was created apart from him. Colossians 2.9 says, in him, the fullness of the deity dwells. It is essential that we affirm the divinity of Jesus Christ. Many religions deny this important truth and say that Jesus Christ is a good man or a prophet or another God. Scripture shows us clearly that the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus Christ. Jesus also claims to be the God who saved Israel in the Old Testament by saying in John 8.58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. It's extremely important to note that Jesus declaring himself as I am refers back to when God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush and also declared himself I am. The Pharisees wanted to stone him because they understood this as Jesus saying he is God. I think one other thing to note in this verse also is that Jesus is also saying that he existed before Abraham, which would be impossible um, unless he were God. John also said, John the Baptist also said the same thing saying that, um, I forget the verse exactly, but something along the lines of he existed before me kind of a thing. But we know Mm -hmm. through the text that John was conceived before Jesus, but yet John says he is greater than greater than him. Yeah, and that Jesus existed before him. Um, so now we're going to kind of talk about how the Holy uh, how the Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead. So in Acts five through through four, the Holy Spirit is called God. So it says, "But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds from the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? 
you have not lied to man, but to God. This verse is interesting because it shows you that the Holy Spirit is all knowing. And then at the end, it's saying that he didn't lie to man, but he lied to God, which is showing that the all knowing Holy Spirit is God. Um, first Corinthians two, 10 through 11 says that the Holy Spirit is also all knowing in that text. Um, Acts 8, 29 and 11, 12 and 13, 2 say that the Holy Spirit speaks. So we see in 29, it says, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And then we see in 11 and 11, 12, it says, and the Spirit told me to go with him, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanying me. And we entered the man's house. And then 1312 says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Just to reiterate that those verses were talk like show the personhood of the Holy Spirit because he's verbally talking like his, it's not just says that God told him it's distinct that the Holy Spirit, so he has his own voice, his own ability to speak. His own, yeah, his own ability to communicate. He's not just some force. He is a person. So that's important to note. And then John 14, 26 says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So that's Jesus talking and he's referring to the Holy Spirit and the Father um, as well in that text. Isaiah 11, 2 says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit is also referred to in the Old Testament, not just the New Testament. Um, Romans 8, 9 says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. This verse is interesting because we see here that um, it's a reference to the Holy Spirit, also pointing to God the Father and to the Spirit of Christ, showing that the Holy Spirit is in unity with the other two members of the Godhead and is God. Okay, so now what we want to talk about is how um, the each person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as God, they were active in major parts of redemptive history, um, starting with the creation of the world. We have the record in Genesis chapter one, where the father speaking creation into being, and we have the Holy Spirit over the surface of the waters. And then in John chapter one, we see that all things were made through Christ and nothing that was created was created apart from him. So there we see that all three members of the Trinity were active and present in the work of creation. Mm -hmm. um, Colossians 1 16 says for by him, Christ for by him, all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. All right. And Elihu said, um, Elihu was one of Job's friends. He said in Job chapter 33, verse four, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. So that's just a reiterating of the fact that the spirit of God was active in creating a physical man, mm -hmm. the creation of man. And then another verse, we've already read this, but Isaiah 45, 18, going back to it. 
for thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it, he established it, he did not create it empty, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. So again, that verse is an Old Testament verse referring to God. So we see that every single person in the Trinity is mentioned in these texts. We have Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father all participating actively in the work of creation um, in establishing the heavens and the earth. So now we're going to get into... Um, to how each member of the Trinity has a role in God's redemptive plan. So starting off, we're going to talk about the father and his role. So the father chooses who will be saved. John 6, 37 um, says, everyone who the father gives me will come. And Ephesians 1, 4 says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. The son pays the ransom for his people's sins by atoning for our sins. So we see that in Matthew 1, 8, how he will save his people from their sins. In Ephesians 1, 7, that in him we have redemption. Then we see that the Holy Spirit regenerates and seals us. The Holy Spirit also illuminates the scriptures so that we can understand what's contained. And he also convicts our hearts of sin and conforms us to the image of Jesus. So the Father planned for the salvation of sinners and capable of rescuing themselves, loving those who did not love him first. The son accomplished that salvation through his sinless life, death, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit, by breathing new life into dead hearts and applying salvation to everyone who believes, John 3, 16, and anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ to be saved. And we are commissioned to share that good news in the name and power of the Holy Trinity, as Christ said, when he gave the great commission in Matthew 28. That's why we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So a verse that clearly shows how all the members of the Godhead participate in salvation um, is Titus 3, 5 through 6. It said, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out, upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our savior. So again, we see that God saved because it starts out saying he saved us. And then we talk about his mercy and then it shows us that the spirit regenerates. And so if you want to know a little bit more about that, you could go to John three um, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about that. And then we see that, um, that this is poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, who is our savior. So God saves, the Holy Spirit regenerates, and Jesus Christ is our Savior. So all members have an active role in the redemptive um, plan of salvation. Plus, it says that he saved us not according to our deeds, but according to his mercy. So that shows back to the Father's choosing about mm -hmm. loving us first before we love him. Mm -hmm. That's good. Good stuff. Um, now we want to talk about some... Uh, we want to talk about the unity and distinction within the, within the Trinity. So how, how are the persons different? Um, how are the father, the son and the spirit? How are they distinct? So we've got a, I've got a quote from Greg R. Allison. It's from his 50 core truths of the Christian faith. It's a really, really great sort of like a systematic theology, but in a devotional type format. Um, and it actually shows you how to like, how to, how to learn the doctrine, how to teach the doc, how to teach a doctrine, and then like major errors in the doctrine. I was really, I really recommend this book. <laughs> but in it, he describes the distinction of the members of the Trinity in this way. He says, as for the distinction in relation, the onotonical or the eminent Trinity, 
Each of the persons has a unique characteristic not shared by the others. The eternal characteristic of the first person is paternity. He is the father of the son. He is not generated or begotten, which is, uh, which is true of the son. He does not proceed, which is true of the spirit. The eternal characteristic of the second person is sonship or filiation. He is the son of the father, eternally generated or begotten of the father, though not created by him or dependent on him for his deity. The eternal characteristic of the third person is procession. The Holy Spirit eternally proceeds from both the Father and the Son, though not created by them or dependent on them for his deity. By paternity, generation, or begottenness, and the procession, the three are distinct persons. We really liked how that kind of summarizes how they're uniquely different and those differences um, don't make it to where one member of the Trinity relies on the deity of another. So there's no, that shows the, how they're Mm co-equal and co-eternal. None are eternally subordinate to, to another. We want to make the, make it clear that the, the Trinity God is eternally perfect. It has an eternally perfect fellowship within himself. The father, the son, and the Holy spirit eternally love one another. Greg Allison also said in, in that book that the Trinity is a mystery and even the best explanations fall short of reality. In another sense, its difficulty cannot deter the church from affirming what God revealed about his true essence. Yeah, I really like that a lot. We also have the Westminster Larger Catechism, and it phrases the question and answer to question 10 and 11 like this. So question 10 says, what are the personal properties of the three persons in the Godhead? The answer is, it is proper to the Father to beget the Son, and to the Son to be begotten of the Father, and to the Holy Ghost to proceed from the Father and the Son from all eternity. Kind of a much shorter and concise summary of what Greg Allison said. Right. (laughs) Um, And then we also have question 11, which says, how doth it appear that the Son and the Holy Ghost are God equal with the Father? The answer is, the scriptures manifest that the Son and the Holy Ghost are God equal with the Father, ascribing unto them such names, attributes, works, and worship as are proper to God only. So again, we've said this in the past, um, the confessions, the catechisms, the creeds, they are not scripture, obviously, but they are good summaries of what scripture has revealed to us. So we agree and we affirm that these are correct understandings of. Yeah, absolutely. Check them out because like with the, with the Westminster larger catechism, it also lists uh, the proof text for those answers, where they got those answers from. So it's, it's a great little tool. We also have the London Baptist Confession to look at. It has a great summary of what the Trinity is also and how they relate to one and how each member relates to one another. Uh, Chapter two, paragraph three says, in this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit of one substance, power and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit, proceeding from the Father and the Son, all infinite, without beginning, therefore but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations, 
which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on him. And we actually, we want to list out the the proof texts that come from the Baptist confession. Um, Hannah, do you want to start off on listing a couple of those? Yeah, sure. Okay, so the proof text that we have from the London Baptist Confession, which again, we both affirm that confession. That's the confession that we both hold to. First John 5, 7 says, For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Second Corinthians 13, 4 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Um, I really love that verse a lot. Um, Exodus 3.14 says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Again, we had already referenced that verse back when Jesus said that he is I am. John 14.11 says, believe me that I am the father and that the father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. Um, first Corinthians eight, five through six says for, although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, indeed, there are many gods and many Lords. Yet for us, there is one God, the father from whom are all things and for whom we exist and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. John 1, 14 and 18 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Um, John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Um, We mentioned that earlier. It continues and it says, for from this fullness, we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. John 15, 26 says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So again, we see that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and that he's the Helper. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Very good. And then... And that last, that last one you just read, it mentions all three of them, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really great. Um, we also want to just give uh, the Heidelberg Catechism question number 25. It's kind of just a, it's a, really a summary of basically why, why we're even doing this episode today because it, well, I'll just read it. <laughs> so here's the question. Since there is only one divine being, why do you speak of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I guess we could have, we could have asked this question at the beginning. <laughs> the answer is, because that is how God revealed himself in his word. These three distinct persons are one true eternal God. That's really a summary of why we're doing this episode today. Don't you think? Like, as yeah. we've already said, it's just the reason why we have the Trinity is because the Trinity is a summary of what we see in scripture is revealed that there's one true God and he's revealed himself as the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. And it's a mystery because God is, is unique. He's not like us. We have nothing on earth or any person that reflects 
someone who's three persons and one being. God is the only one like this. And so I think it's really difficult for our minds to really wrap or to wrap our head around this concept. Um, and we try to use imperfect examples on earth to describe God and they'll always fail because nothing is like God. He's unique. And when people do press you and ask you, why do you speak of God as three persons? You don't want to get into explaining weird analogies or anything. You just firmly want to say, because scripture reveals it, that he is three persons, one God. And even if that person can't understand, it doesn't change that truth. We have to stand right. on that truth and we have to firmly say there's only one God because that's what's been revealed through scripture. We're not um, right. polytheists in the way that we worship God. There's one God. Um, Michael Horton said in his book on Pilgrim Theology that in the doctrine of the Trinity, wrote Herman, Herman Bavnik, beats the heart of the whole revelation of God for the redemption of human, humanity. As the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our God is above us, before us, and within us. The doctrine of the Trinity, God is one in essence and three in person, shapes and structures Christian faith and practice in every way, distinguishing it from all other world religions. And that is so important because if you get the Trinity wrong, you will get everything else wrong. We mm -hmm. see that played out in all other false religions, religions that deny Jesus's divinity or um, deny the Holy Spirit's divinity, whatever it is, it affects every other doctrine surrounding it. You have to get the nature of God right um, to get anything right, right. <laughs> in scripture. <laughs> so on that note, we're going to kind of go into some major errors. Um, Esther, if you want to start us off. Yeah. Okay. So the first major error that um, we'll talk about is called Unitarianism. That is where um, someone rejects the deity of the Son and or the Holy Spirit. This is a result of affirming that God is only one person. So that's thinking that God is one being and one person, which is a common um, human thought because that's what we are. Mm -hmm. um, but as scripture says, we should not make the mistake that God is like us. Mm -hmm. The second major error is tritheism, which is a form of polytheism. That's where um, someone fails to embrace the biblical teaching that there is one God or that God is one being. That's saying that there are three gods, mm -hmm. um, which kind of reminds me of Mormonism. But Mormonism, of course, affirms that there's more than three gods. But they say that we just have, you know, the three to worship. Correct. Um, so that's tritheism. Then there's modelism. Um, this one is probably the most um, common in the evangel the yeah the Christian circles evangel in and evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. um, it's a result of failing to see the distinct the distinctions between the three persons: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Modelists believe Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are different names for the same person. Modelists cannot account for the passages in Scripture. Um, that talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all being active at the same time. For instance, when Jesus was baptized, we have Jesus, the Son, being baptized. You have the Father speaking from heaven saying, this is my Son, who I am well pleased. And then you have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. In, in the modelist mind, kind, God kind of wears different hats, kind of almost like a shapeshifter. 
Do you, is that fair to say it's, it's almost like shape-shifting? I would say that's fair because you also see people who hold to this position are also very confused when they see like Jesus in the garden praying to the father. They hear that and they're like, why is Jesus praying to himself? They, exactly. they, there's no distinction of the fact that Jesus is not praying to himself. And while yes, the father and him are in perfect union and um, they are communicating perfectly, it doesn't mean they're the same person. So Jesus is able to pray to the father because he isn't the father, right. but they both make up the one God. And that's kind of where the confusion sets in. So I'm going to kind of give some examples of really bad examples or analogies that we give when we're trying to explain the Trinity. I am guilty of doing this. We are all guilty of doing this at some point. Right. Um, <laughs> But to just understand they fall short and we should never use them because they're not, there's, like I said earlier, God is unique and there's nothing that we can compare him to. So the first one would be the water analogy. You often hear people trying to describe the Trinity and stumble through it by saying like, well, God's kind of like water. You know how it has three forms, ice, uh, liquid and gas. And that's what God is like. It's, it's modalism. It's completely wrong because when you have the water cannot exist as gas, liquid and solid all at, all at once. They're different modes of one substance. So they're not, it's kind of like that same wearing a different hat. Yes. It's one thing. It's H2O and it's three, it can be three different things, but those three different things aren't existing all at the same time. So that's modalism. And then you also have, um, people use the example of just like I'm a mother, but I'm also a sister and a daughter, or just as I am, um, an employee, a mother, or one other thing that also falls short because yes, I am one being, I'm one individual, but you're, I'm saying that me as an individual, I I'm also three different things and that, that falls short because I'm just one person. You have to have the three distinct persons. Um, then we also, oneness Pentecostal error is also mixed up in that as well. Um, Esther, I don't know if you want to say anything about that or just leave it at that for now. Um, we could just say that, I mean, that that's one of the major errors. And I mean, given it's oneness Pentecostal, the reason why they're called that is because they believe in only one, um, they believe in modelism. They believe that, mm-hmm. that Jesus is the father and that Jesus is the Holy is now the Holy spirit. They believe he started out as the father became Jesus. And now we have the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's, it's like, just changing into different modes. Um, so that's, that's their error. So the next uh, major error with the Trinity is called Arianism. Um, this is the, that's the denial of the deity of Christ and the Holy spirit. We've got a, another kind of analogy that people use that one that, which falls into Arianism, mm-hmm. which is the example of, uh, the sun. So the analogy with the sun is that there's, you have the sun and then it radiates heat and it radiates light and they compare that the sun is like like the literal sun the big star in the sky is like the father and then what comes after him is like christ and the holy spirit Mm -hmm. which is not it's it just fails to um it fails to grasp some of the it fails to think about some of the scriptures that talk about how that show that one is not um generated or created from the father 
Correct. Because in that, in that example, you have the sun, which generates heat. Heat on its own could not exist without the sun. Same with the light. The light could not exist apart from the actual star itself. So in a way, Arianism could be the sun could exist on its own without heat or light in, a, in some sense, because it is the source of that. Mm-hmm. So in a way, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, if you're comparing them to heat and light, rely on the Father to even be God. And that's wrong. All three are co-equal and co-eternal. They do not rely on one another, but they must all be present to make up God, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, then we have Macedonianism. It's also got, it goes by many other names, very long names. <laughs> um, but Macedonianism is, um, it refers to people who are, the nickname is opponents of the spirit because they deny the deity of the Holy Spirit. Um, I guess the closest example I can think of for that one would be your Jehovah Witnesses. They believe that the Holy Spirit is a force, but not actually God. Um, where they deny the deity. I mean, of course, they deny the deity of Christ too. But the way that they describe the Holy Spirit as a force that falls into the error and condemned heresy of the early church of Macedonianism. Um, then there's partialism, which is another major one uh, that we we get some of our weird analogies from. Partialism is the teaching the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together are components of one God or parts of one God. This leads them to believe that each of the persons of the Trinity is only part God, only becoming fully God when they come together. Uh, There's a funny video that that describes like a, a partialism God as being like a transformer. Like, you know, have all the parts of the Transformer coming together. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, I just watched that video before <laughs> to, you got to remind myself. Had some other examples for, for that one? There's a lot of them. Oh, yeah. So, sorry, I thought you were referring to the video. Okay, so <laughs> some of the examples uh, that are, or some of the analogies for partialism, there are lots but some would be the egg. So we have the one egg that has the shell, the yolk, um, and the, what's that other part of the egg? Egg white. Egg white. white. (laughs) Thank you. Um, That would be partialism or the candy corn. You have the orange part, the white part, the yellow part. An apple, you have the outside, the seeds. um, So the outside, the core and the actual apple itself. You have a three-leaf clover, how each clover extends off, but it's one clover. Those all fall short. Just basically stick to there's one God, and he exists as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Back, like back to the, the Heidelberg Catechism. Why do, you, why do you talk about one and three? Because that's the way that God's revealed himself Himself. like that's it that's all you need you don't need fancy human analogies because any any attempt to use an analogy for the trinity is trying to make it simpler to understand and god is just so much more than our infinite our our finite mind can understand Mm -hmm. and i mean it's simple enough the way that it is in scripture it's difficult to understand but it's also very simple if God was going to give us an analogy, he would have given it to us in scripture and he hasn't. So we just shouldn't go there. 
So one more important thing that we want to mention is that God has revealed himself as male. The, the pronoun to describe God is always masculine. It is wrong to ever attribute a female characteristic to God. He is not a she. All three persons are revealed in scripture as male. So we would do well to also use the language that um, is revealed in scripture. He, him, male, all masculine forms. Um, there are many today who want to say that God is both male and female or just female. But we firmly believe that scripture teaches that language is always wrong, always unbiblical, and very heretical. We can never refer to God in this manner because God has not revealed himself as a she, a her, any kind of feminine pronoun. God is he. Um, so there are, I will say that there are like examples of scripture of that compare God as, as a, um, as a feminine figure, as an analogy, but not, never is he referred to as, as a she. Yes. Um, and I think, as you say, the reason why we don't do that, why we don't say she or her is because that's not how God talks about himself. Mm-hmm. He never talks about himself that way. So why would we? We have to be careful. Yeah. I mean, and with the Trinity, this is what the Trinity is a topic that you have to deal with so carefully because you could so easily slip into error just explaining it. And this is one very blatantly obvious error. Don't call God a she. Um, (laughs) So to end on that note, the doctrine of the Trinity does not fully explain the mysterious character of God. Rather, it sets the boundaries outside of which we must not step. It defines the limit of our finite reflection. It demands that we be faithful to the biblical revelation, that in one sense, God is one, and in a different sense, he is three. So that's from the Reformation Study Bible, and I feel like connects really well to what we were just saying. Now we're going to end with the Athanasian Creed. This is a creed in which all Christians must confess um, because it is a summary of the Trinity, clearly spelled out, these words are precise and express everything that we have said in this episode in one very large paragraph. I mean, even at the very end, it says, he therefore that will be saved must think thus, or must thus think of the Trinity. So I'm going to read it. Um, It says, we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father infinite, the Son infinite, and the Holy Spirit infinite. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal. As also there are not three uncreated, nor three infinites, but one uncreated and one infinite. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, and the Holy Spirit almighty. And yet they are not three almighties, but one almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And yet there are not three gods, but one God. So likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord, and yet not three lords, but one Lord. For as we are compelled by Christian truth to acknowledge every person by himself to be God and Lord. So are we forbidden by the Catholic religion to say there are three gods or three lords? The father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. 
The Son is of the Father alone, not made nor created, but begotten. The Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. And in this Trinity, none is before or after another. None is greater or less than another. But the whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal, so that in all things, as we said before, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. He, therefore, that will be saved must thus think of the Trinity. That's good. Real good stuff. Good summary. And it's an old summary. Mm -hmm. I still think, I think you would probably agree with me, Hannah, that the Trinity is a mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, I do agree. And it's a, when, when we can just grasp a little tiny bit of it and see the triune character of God working in creation, working in our salvation. It's a beautiful mystery to behold. So we want to say thank you to our listeners. This wraps up our episode. Um, You guys could have been, you could have been listening to so many other podcasts, but you chose to listen to ours today. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. Um, Make sure you check out our, our show notes because we we're going to include a lot of, um, uh, resources and recommendations, book recommendations. And we've seen that a lot of you guys have been sharing our giveaway. Um, that ends today. It ends Tuesday. No, it, it ends, ends Tuesday. Tuesday. Which this ah. episode, this episode will be released the day after the winner is announced. Okay. So. Well, cool. We maybe on Wednesday, we'll be able to announce it then whenever you're listening. Maybe the winner will be listening they i will maybe they will (laughs) but we hope to do more giveaways in the future so if you don't win this time you could win next time (laughs) all right that's it all righty guys well god bless Uh, we hope you join us next time